if I struggle with anything um, in regards to other human beings, um, it's people that look down upon other people. Um, because I was always that kid that, I was the poor kid that everybody made fun of because my shoes were maybe broken, <laughs> busted. Um, I, I, that, that is like, I've, I'm not a fighter, but that makes me want to fight when people look down on, <laughs> yeah. when people look down on other people because of material things or education, whatever. Um, because no matter what, you can always learn something from someone. So use that. There's two things right there that the two of you can, can take from this is continue to, to be great listeners, because obviously you're going to learn something when you listen, especially as attentive as the two of you are. Number two is realize that I don't care if they're 18, there's something that you can learn from, from that individual at some level. And I know that, that, that it's, they're not always the easiest conversations because you may not have a lot in common, but mm. those that are the most successful in life are the ones that find commonality that ultimately lead to something better uh, for both both parties, right? Mm -hmm. You get something from me, I give you something back. But the whole go-giver mentality is that it's not a tick for tack. It's I'll give you four things and maybe, I don't care if it comes back around, it's great. Um, but I do think that, you know, if we go into the mindset, go in with the mindset that we can learn from anyone um, I think this world would be a better place, but for sure, um, we'll start with each community. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Not Genius Podcast. I hope you guys' week and weekend are blessed. I hope that you guys are continuously growing, feeling encouraged this week. We have a special treat for you guys as we have an interview with Leon G. Barnes. He's part of the Collective Genius, one of the leaders out here. And we're just super blessed to have him on the show. What's up, Leon? How are you doing? What's up, fellas? This is awesome. You come, you came to our office here in Tampa. I feel honored. I've got the whole crew here. <laughs> Looking forward to a conversation. Good to have you guys here. Yeah, we got a little audience. We got <laughs> the whole setup. Yeah. I feel like this is what like, you know, MTV started out with. We got a little audience <laughs> yeah. over here. We got the podcast going on. It's, this is great. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. We just had an amazing past week at the Collective Genius for Select, and this is the first time you guys rolled out Elevate too, so that, that was amazing. Yeah, a lot of new things going on. You know, when, whenever we're thinking about making changes or doing new things within the Collective Genius, we're always looking at the customer experience, and that's our member experience, right? So the key is whenever we are bringing on new members. We want to make sure that we have the right product and the right fit for them. And what that product is, is a community. And when real estate investors come to us, they want to scale their business. And so in, in 13 years now, we have developed three different levels within our organization. Um, but for 10, there was only one. Mm -hmm. And so this journey of adding select and elevate really came uh, from the feedback from our membership base of same um, we want to continue to grow and we also want to be around people that are like-minded. And so Elevate started for the very first time at our, um, um, what is it now, May? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's uh, Time flies. It's our May event and uh, it was a success and we're looking to grow upon it. That's awesome. I know that, uh, what's it called, Select only started a couple years ago. And I honestly got started in December 2019 and I really wanted to get super deep into, you know, uh, wholesaling like in 2020, 2021, yeah. but 
it seemed like the collective genius was the secret society. I would hear Pineda <laughs> talk about it a little bit when he was starting off in on YouTube. I think it was like March of 2020. I was like, the collective genius. And then you go into your page and it's like, I got to get invited into this yeah. thing. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. So it's like, uh, what's that one social media where it's just like people are just chatting to one another and there's a whole bunch of people uh, listening in. It's kind of, it's kind of like that, that, you guys know I know what you're talking about I don't know yeah I think that was a, a hit there for a short the amount Grant, of time the Grant Cardone one yeah yeah it's, it's interesting that we've already forgotten about it because yeah, right. there was a time yeah. group chat what was it called something like that um, but we don't even remember it because it, it, it came on the scene and went away um, you know Jason Medley and, you know when he started this organization 13 years ago and brought on people like myself and Brian Snyder, who I know you guys have talked to. Um, you know, greatness attracts other, you know, people that want to be great. And on top of that, when you have a go-giver culture that was started from day one, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this has been 13 years of developing this culture. And it, it, it did start off as kind of that speakeasy where you had to knock three times, <laughs> say the code <laughs> word, right? It did start off like that with, you know, the highest caliber real estate investors. But I think the thing, the secret sauce to this group has always been, it can't just be high caliber real estate investors. It has to be high caliber human beings. Mm -hmm. And what happened three years ago, actually four, I'm, I've been in this role, VP of membership now for five years. After two years, I would get applications from investors like yourselves that maybe had only been in the business three to five years, weren't at the level of our highest level, at, which is now called Premier. We didn't have a name for it. It was just CG back then. <laughs> I would notice that I would have all these applications from people that I uh, were, were referred to me, especially. Hmm. And I hadn't, didn't have a spot for them. And our goal is always, you know, our mission is to always help high level, high caliber real estate investors live the life that they want to live and give back to this community of real estate investors as much as we could. And we felt, we, we felt like we weren't living our mission if we were turning away, you know, those that maybe didn't have as much experience as that premier level investor did 10 plus years, but they had a really solid business and they were really good people because they were being referred by other great human beings. Mm. And so that's where Select was born, and the same thing happened now almost three years later with Elevate, where it's just going down the ladder of, you know, this individual has a really good business. They just haven't been in it that long, and that's where Elevate came from as well. So um, it, it all comes from the mission of, of, of continuing to grow this community, which we feel like impacts not only uh, the investor, but generations to come and also the community. Mm. I think real estate investors in general, and you guys can speak to this, we get a bad rap in a lot of communities. But I can say, personally, I've overseen and been a part of over 400 flips in my community. Well, what do those flips do in those communities? They help property values. They give someone a great house to live in or rent. In, in my particular case, we both fix and flip and rent. Mm. Um, you know, that's good for our communities across the United States. Yeah, that's, that's really amazing. So you just mentioned that you, you flip and you do rentals. Would you be able to take us all the way back? Day one, <laughs> I guess, Kansas City, 
and tell us just a little bit about your origin story sure. and your life growing up. Sure. So mother, my mother raised four boys by herself. And so I knew from an early age on that I wanted to do more. My mother cleaned homes for a living. Mm-hmm. And I look back at this. Uh, she cleaned them in Kansas City, Missouri, mostly in Johnson County, Kansas. If you're familiar with that area, there's a river, that the Missouri River, that separates the city. And you have Kansas and you have Missouri. So she did Kansas City Metro. And in the summer, I would beg her to go with her to clean those homes because I wanted money. We didn't have any, so I wanted some of that, right? Um, And I look back at that experience. These were all very wealthy people that we were cleaning homes for, and I wanted those houses. I wanted it. I'm like, I want to live in this. How do these people get that? And a lot of them were in real estate. I look back at that, and I realized that was an influence. Um, It took me a couple years. It was a a couple years ago that I really realized um, that impact that doing that in the summer had on me. Um, from there, um, I knew that I, I wanted to get out of, you know, kind of, you know, where, how we were raised we, I loved every bit of it, but I, I wanted to do more. And so I became the first person in my family to graduate from college and I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. That's oh, what wow. I wanted to do. Um, I did that for five and a half years um, I worked in television stations, but once I had graduated, my first job was uh, radio play-by-play for an indoor soccer team. Uh, we were talking about Philadelphia earlier pre-show. Um, I got to travel the United States. I had never been on a plane until I was 23 years old. And uh, my first flights were with that soccer team. One of those, we played the Philadelphia Kicks in Philadelphia. We were in the smallest market. Um, I enjoyed every second of it. From there, went on to arena football for a few years and uh, called it quits, uh, at least from a full-time perspective of broadcasting after five and a half, just right around six years. Realized that I wanted and that that was fun. It's a great hobby. But I realized I wasn't going to make the type of money to get one of those houses (laughs) that I was cleaning. Uh, And if I did, it was going to take me a while. Um, so I got into sales. Uh, I went to corporate, had some friends that re- referred me into this advertising sales business. And uh, I went up to corporate ladder pretty quick, spent 11 years um, in Wichita, Kansas, and then eventually took over my own office in Honolulu. That's how I got to Hawaii. Spent three years there running an office. And uh, after 11 years of corporate, um, I, was, I was done. I had a good run, uh, got up to just short of a, like a VP level, um, and I had an opportunity. Um, I was selling advertising, and one of the people that I was selling advertising to was a young man that was doing this thing called flipping houses <laughs> back in 2003. There was, I don't wow. even think flipping was a, was a term, um, and I really didn't even know what he was doing. I just knew that he was a landlord. Uh, and I knew he was buying and selling houses, but I didn't understand uh, truly the, what he was looking for from an advertising standpoint. I thought he was an agent, and I thought he wanted to buy and sell houses for clients, not necessarily buy them himself. And over time, I came to realize what he was doing. He was going direct to seller, and um, he continued to grow his business. And every year, he would say, hey, I need an executive on my team. I, I want to bring you on as my what we now call an integrator or COO. So after... Oh, goodness, four or five years of him, actually more than that, of him dripping me every year saying, I want you to come work for me. I called his bluff and uh, 
uh, moved back from Hawaii to Kansas. I'm probably the only one without military orders that have ever done that, and that is sane. Um, (laughs) We moved back uh, to the Midwest from from Hawaii and uh, started and spent five years in that business as an executive, overseeing flips, um, overseeing the team, building culture. I was a COO for those five years. And uh, it, it was a good five years. And then I knew that at some point I wanted to do more than just be in that role. Um, and so I went out on my own and um, had always um, kept in contact with Jason because we were CG members. Um, and I said, you know, I'd love to I'd love to help you in any capacity that I could as long as I can continue uh, my real estate, growing my own real estate business. And so five years later, here I am still um, having um, a business back in Kansas, living here in Tampa. Um, We have rentals and we do, you know, anywhere between 25 to 35 deals a year while I'm still doing this mostly full time. Wow, that's all super amazing you have such a great story in a quick amount of time that's a that's <laughs> yeah. 46 now so that covers about oh good 30 years there that was awesome but before we go deeper into any of the topics i just wanted to let you know that you're one of the most excellent mcs that i have ever heard <laughs> it explains so much how you came from a broadcasting background yeah. to where you are you are the most qualified person <laughs> I appreciate you saying that because I'm super hard on myself um, Mm -hmm. when it comes to platform skills, getting in front of a room um, with a microphone or an earpiece. Um, I am very critical of every word that comes out of my mouth and hope that the experience when you're, I mean, that's a lot of responsibility, man. I'm leading a room of 150 of high, high caliber real estate investors from all walks of life, from across mm-hmm. the country, some from out of the country. Like we have mm-hmm. a member that lives in Madrid, Spain, mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. select yeah. that, you know, makes the trip to Tampa. Um, thankfully, this is was home base for him before he moved to Madrid. But uh, it's a lot right. of it's a lot of pressure. Um, but I do, you know, you know, having been uh, a broadcaster uh, doing sports talk uh, in the mornings uh, for a few years. Yeah, it, I definitely had my at-bats of, of, of time to perfect it or try to perfect mm-hmm. it, and that's why I'm so hard on myself. Mm-hmm. Along the entire journey of continuously growing from career to career to career, what kind of mindset shifts did you go through? Because from where you were growing up, yeah desiring the big house until mm-hmm. where you are today it's a totally vast different mission and journey and mindset yeah. so what did that personal growth and development look like maybe that's too wide of a spectrum but sure. like how do you break it down you know you know there are two paths that you can take um when you um when you grow up without a lot of means um the great thing about when you don't have a lot of means is typically you have a lot of love in the household um, and a lot of love from family and friends. Um, but the two ways that you can typically take that is you you make excuses and you say, well, everybody else around me is this way, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to just stay you know, in this status quo. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, for me, though, it was I want to be able to take my own journey, but also be able to give back um, in the future. 
Um, and so it's something that um, it was all drive. You know, it was like if I want to be able to give back to that community, and the only way that I'm going to be able to give back to that community is if I accomplish what I want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this yesterday on the um, uh, during the connection time yesterday, and <clears throat> Jimmy Vreeland, who is one of our facilitators phenomenal real estate investor out of St. Louis, Missouri. And someone asked about goal setting because our select level group, the average age is about 30 to 35 in that range. Um, And so a lot of people are starting to accomplish some of their goals, Mm. right? And they're stuck. They're like, what's next? Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I've never struggled from that. I just set the next goal. (laughs) (laughs) What's next? We set the next goal. Because it's bigger than me now. Mm -hmm. I have two sons I have a family to support and not that I want to give everything to my kids, but I want them to see me still driven. Um, I moved my family from Kansas to Tampa three years ago. Um, I didn't need to do that. I could have stayed there. I've been very comfortable with my business is, but that the key word there is comfortable. Mm. And I didn't want, I don't ever want my kids to see dad just comfortable Mm. and not chasing the next thing, not being driven. And that's not, I'm not saying that from a perspective of where you you burn yourself out. I'm saying it from a perspective of just fulfilling one's goals. And once you fulfill those, you set new ones. Jimmy was talking about that. He has said, there's a book that he read and I can't remember the name of it, but he referenced it of setting a hundred goals. (laughs) knowing that you probably will never accomplish, um, you know, all of them. He goes, I've got 60 written down. So when I hit that, you know, that's Jimmy, he's just an overachiever. I've got 60. And so when I hit 60 or when I hit one, I go to two. When I go to two, I get three. And it's just continuous evolution. Um, Not only from, we're not just talking money here. We're just talking about evolution of a human being. So for me, it's always been a drive. Um, And I can say that before my kids, I probably had a phase there where, you know, I was like, okay, I'm cool. I'm, you know, working a pretty cush, you know, corporate job. And, um, and then kids came along and changed that perspective. And I'm blessed and, and happy that they did because, um, you know, I can already see their drive, you know, at 11 and six years old because they have great influence in their life with me and their mother. Yeah. That's, that's really amazing. I'm curious you got your hands in a lot of pots. And, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and you're always working to stay driven, but not burn yourself out. So how do you, how are you balancing showing your kids yeah. how to achieve goals, but also being a good dad and a good husband? I will say that um, that is a challenge. Um, I am not perfect. Um, I think I have it figured out more today at 46 <laughs> than I definitely did in my twenties. Um, you know, I am not perfect in relationships. I don't feel like I, I make, um, time enough for all those people that, um, that, you know, you know, there's phases, there's chapters of your life. There's some people from chapter two that I wish I would reach out to more. There's some people from chapter three, you know, um, that I just, I fail at communicating. Eric Brewer talked about this at our select meeting and, that hit home because I'm like, man, I just, I should reach out more. I should be a better friend, Mm. you know? Um, But my, this chapter of my life, all my time outside of work is dedicated to my kids and my wife, you know, my family. 
Um, and so uh, it's hard to balance all things. Uh, the one thing that I will say that I've become much better at is is balancing work and my family time here by, quite frankly, just time blocking and getting as much done as I possibly can within that time and know that everything else will be there tomorrow. Hmm. What won't be there is that exact day that my um, yesterday I had to leave early from select hmm. is a great example my 11-year-old took up the electric bass in oh. January. And he's always played the violin, but he added the electric bass. Mm -hmm. um, took it up in January. And he had he was playing a, a, they, this school that uh, he goes to. They have three different levels of ages that they, this, this year they had school rock band. Oh, what? And they played a U2 song. And the bass wow. on that particular song is the pace. Mm -hmm. And you can hear it. And just watching him, well, there was no way that I was going to miss that. I had to give up something to make sure that I was there for that. There was no way I was going to miss that. So I can't say that there's, I can make everything, but, mm. um, you know, it's just time blocking is something that I've learned to do much better in my 30s and 40s than I did in my 20s. Because of what happens in your 20s, you just go, I'm going to work, 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 work. Mm -hmm. But some people you know, you take 12 hours to get something done, you probably could have gotten done with laser focus in six. Yeah. Um, I think that would be the best advice I would give to those that are struggling is laser focus. You know, when you are, uh, when your attention is on something, um, you can get it done in a shorter, a much shorter amount of time. If you're multitasking, multitasking is a myth. Mm -hmm. It truly is. That's so admirable that, you set that example amongst your colleagues that, hey, this is, if this is a priority for you, you will cut something short in order to fulfill on these other obligations that are actually of greater importance. Family is always more important than business. And sometimes our schedule doesn't look like it because it's just like, well, business takes up eight, nine hours of the day. Mm -hmm. And my family and I, we're over here for this like, two to three hours a day it doesn't look like it but you gotta look at the quality of that time yeah it's not just judged based off of quantity that's something that i've had to get better at even in my 40s um taking the phone and not being on it while you're with your family like being i, I see parents all the time at disney world or um, Bush Gardens here and they're on the phone during that time that they're spending. That's pretty fun time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, can't say that I haven't been guilty of that myself, uh, but trying to put the phone away. The phone is a distraction. Mm -hmm. And you're right, the, the word quality is the key word there. Is being, um, even if it's just an hour, um, being mindful uh, and, and attentive without that phone, that hour means a lot for sure. Yeah, I love some of the lessons that I've learned from CG just outside of the actual presentations, just the conversations that I have with um, these other members. For instance, I was talking to Darius, who's from North Carolina, and he was talking to me about how he still mows lawns <laughs> to this day. His original clients from years, years back, he still cuts them because he's like, that grounds me. It's like... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he told me he had kids or not, but he says I want to set that example mm -hmm. that 
even though I have all this, this, and that going for me, I will always mm. not be too good to cut these people's yeah. lawn because I make this commitment to these people. And it's just like, this, these are my roots. Yeah. And he wants to set that example. And I think it's great that you also set that example um, in investing that time being with your kids and showing that, hey, you're not afraid even at this point, at this stage of your career to still take the effort to be uncomfortable yeah. and to push yourself. Two of those, two of the follow-up influences that I had that have helped with that. Number one, um, I didn't have a father growing up, you know, so it's super important for me to be super dad. Yeah. Uh, I can't accomplish that all the time. Um, but you know, it's my goal to be the best dad that I can be for my two sons. Um, you know, another influence that helps me stay grounded, um, I've built a decent portfolio of single family properties in Kansas now. Um, and that just happens. Some of that's because of just over time, you just accumulate assets. Uh, if you're, um, I know a lot of people, I, I want to get a hundred doors tomorrow. Well, that sounds great, but you have to have cash in order to be able to, in time in order to build those. But when I started the rental business we started with no doors, I think we're at 67 doors now. And it was my, you know, it was my goal to make sure that any house that we turned into a rental house was the nicest house on the block or was renovated almost to a retail level. And here's why I did that. Um, you know, my mother did the best that she could with what she had raising four boys by herself. But we went from one rental house to the next and landlords just were atrocious with repairs. The houses were in disrepair. Um, and I just, I, I didn't want any family that I was renting to feeling the way that I felt living in some of those houses. Mm. Um, and so that influenced the way that even if I, if I, I don't, we'll spend more because uh, I don't plan on selling any of these houses anytime soon. Uh, we plan on keeping affordable housing, uh, for our community, that is nice for as long as possible. So we'll make it up in the long run. I want to make sure that the asset, the house itself is beautiful for, I don't care, you know, what level, if it's a two bedroom or one bedroom, three mm -hmm. bedroom in the best neighborhood, in the worst neighborhood, doesn't matter. It's going to be nice. Mm. You guys are reflecting. I like it. <laughs> yeah. We can't be afraid of the silence. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. These are all really great things in which you share with us. And I think, you know, the old way of doing real estate, it was very secretive in some ways. It, be, it was like an old boys club. Sure. Right. And they also thought differently. Like a lot of the, I hate to like say new age investors where it's just like, yeah, no, we're buying these things at discounts from these retired landlords and whether we're wholesaling or we're flipping them, flipping it them ourselves, it's, um, I think a lot of people have seen this pattern of slumlord inside mm -hmm. their community. And we, we always want the opposite of what we experience, kind of similar to how you were sharing yeah. being raised by a single mothers. Like you want to be the best dad that you possibly can. And it's just like, well, you see some destroyed neighborhoods because people or, or neighborhoods in disarray because the landlords did not take care of their properties. Yeah. They did not take ownership or pride in serving people. 
And that was one of the big things that really transformed my experience in owning property when we got four houses on one side of the street. And that, that may sound like something I could really boast about, but I looked at that as like, oh, this is a really great opportunity mm. where I have some people um, leaving because this is not the best, safest housing for them. And this gives me an opportunity to totally remodel this and bring this up to a standard where, yeah. you know, a young family or somebody who is on the, uh, the up and up, they would want to live here and raise their kids here. I did that turnover for four houses in my community. Mm -hmm. And it went from being like a community with a bunch of garbage just being littered on one side of the street, not the other side. Sure. It was crazy. It was the same street, <laughs> but my side of the street was full of litter. Yeah, And there was a one abandoned house and uh, that one abandoned house ended up getting remodeled. It was not mine, but the four other houses, you know, I put on new siding. I ended up, you know, gutting the thing down to the studs and just because the opportunity that I got from buying a discount from some of these landlords mm -hmm. and building great relationships with them, they did the best that they possibly could sure. with the knowledge that they had. So I don't fault them. They're amazing people. Yeah. And maybe their mentors were, yeah. they, they learned from people that did the same thing. I'm not here to judge anyone's way of doing business. Mm. Um, it's not for me. Um, you know, I am, I think Devin Robinson from Select talks about this all the time is it's something I've always lived by as people over profits because mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer that you can do both. I think you can be a profitable business and also care about people. I know that that is not everyone's way of, of thinking, but I do think that um, when it all comes um, you know, around um, that you're just going to, you'll feel, for me, I know I couldn't live with myself um, taking profits over people. Mm. I just, I'm a firm believer that in time you can do both. Maybe short term, it's hard. It makes it harder to be yeah. profitable, yeah. but long term, um, I'm not a, I'm not a wholesaler. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't deal in that space. Um, and I can see where it'd be more profit over people in a quick turn. But for me, when it comes to actually being a landlord and having tenants, um, it's, it's very important to me that those people are taken care of. Yeah. It just hit me so hard when my side of the street finally became like clean and people were playing outside and uh, it was just, everyone was coming together yes. and really enjoying that neighborhood. Yeah. And it used to be like, so like just out of pocket. You know. Have you ever read the book? I think it's Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. You ever read that one? No, I haven't. I think Tell it's either it. Tipping Point or Outliers. I don't remember which one, but talked about in the 1980s when the crime in New York was, was really high. And one of the things that they looked at was a subway system. Um, and it's a broken window, window syndrome. You ever heard of that before? No. Like in neighborhoods where windows are broken and there is blight. Um, same thing with subways that have um, spray paint on them. Mm -hmm. People feel like they're allowed yeah. to do those type of mm -hmm. things, right? Well, it's somebody else spray paint, I'll spray paint. Somebody broke that window, I'll break that window. And it, and it drives crime. So they started looking at how they could bring you know, the crime rate down. And it started with little things like making sure that no train had um, graffiti on it, um, that areas where they had, you know, houses with broken windows, making sure that those landlords, 
um, started doing things to to make them better. It, it it they they work hand in hand. When you clean up areas, neighborhoods, those type of things, you drive crime rates down. And they were very successful with that type of uh, planning in New York in the 1980s. It was not a place that you you know. I remember growing up as a kid, you know, go to New York, you get hurt there, you get mugged in the <laughs> on the trains, um, and it's not it's not what it was in the 80s because of that we're going to get rid of all the blight so people understand that this is a nice neighborhood that they can live in and not do criminal type things again it goes back to my point in the beginning of when we first started real estate investors in my opinion get a bad rap in the united states especially because we're seen as well we're taking advantage of people most that are, you know, flipping those properties, when they ultimately flip that property, property values go up, get rid of blight issues. Because a lot of the houses that we we do purchase are houses that you t- can't really sell a traditional way. Mm-hmm. You know, they need. You know, my average rehab is forty to sixty thousand dollars. You know, in a Midwest market mm-hmm. that I'm, you know, that the average median home is one seventy five. You know, so that's a significant percentage of the value of that home. So going back to your, uh, you know, cleaning up that side of the street, that community is better because of you. Yeah. Four houses at a time. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious, um, earlier you mentioned how when you were in the TV industry and it kind of started you being, well, now super well, super good at talking, but you mentioned how you calculated you were in terms of trying to sound good uh-huh. and I'm just really curious where that stemmed from and how have you evolved I'm sure at one point you were like hypercritical and hating on yourself to now maybe you're more confident and when you speak I was brutal I was bad when I first started in television um, I wanted to be on sports center because in the 1980s and 90s when sports center was you know this pop culture icon um, I wanted to be one of those guys be because I thought they were all hilarious and they love sports and I love sports and I thought I was funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but man, being in front of the camera with a teleprompter and doing it for the first time, I didn't realize how hard it was. So thankfully in college, I hosted um, a football coaches show um, and I was brutal at that, but it was a local public uh, station that I did the coach helped me out a lot because he loved to talk and I knew football so I could talk football but I just the the stage presence was horrible Um, and then as I got to my second college we had a weekly television show that we did live on local television every Friday and I was the sports broadcaster for those particular uh, shows so each time I did it, I felt more confident. And I got better and I got better. Um, I still, um, the reason that I, I made that transition into sales is I, I didn't feel like I was going to be good enough, fast enough mm. to do what friends of mine ended up doing. You know, I had uh, people that I worked in the industry with that went on the SPN, one that was the main anchor in Chicago uh, for a long time. You know, they were, they were, you know how you if you play a sport, I don't care what sport it is, football, basketball, soccer, 
baseball, you th- think you're pretty good until you run up against someone that's bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, thankfully, I had someone in my, at my university that was so much better than me on screen. Oh my gosh, he was so much better than me. And I realized that in order for me to catch him, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to work so much harder because he's so natural. And he wasn't natural. He did a lot of, I mean, he was natural uh, at, at being on camera, but he also had a lot of reps. He had already been on the radio and uh, well before I was. Mm. And so to answer your question in long-winded wise, uh, it, it, the confidence only comes from doing it. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think there's... An, there's less than 1% that just get in front of a television um, and with a, uh, a camera and a teleprompter and are great at it from day one. It's very, very rare. It's reps. It's like anything else that we do. We talk about this in real estate investing at CG. You know, a lot of people are really good at wholesaling and they want to start getting into uh, fixing and flipping. They want to get into construction. Well, it's a different business, Right. So know that you're going to get into that and make some mistakes, but don't give up what is your active income. Yeah. And over time, your, rep, your reps, you get your reps on building contractor relationships and making mistakes where you didn't know you needed a permit for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, now I know from here on out that I need a permit for that. And those things you just learn from over time, you become pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I say that I've uh, been a part of or overseen 400 flips. Well, generally, I had someone that was a project manager helping with those. We had as many contractor issues as anybody else. And the number sounds impressive, but 300 of those were, you know, not efficient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it, over time, they start to get better. But I think that's going back to the question about getting more confident on with platform skills in front of a stage. It just comes with reps, like just like anything else in your life. Yeah, my my son and I are talking about that right now. He's eleven. He wants to be a really good basketball player, and he wants to. Right now, his his goal is to play on a travel team in the summer on an AAU team. Mm. He's eleven. You know, he's he, today. Tomorrow's his last day of fifth grade. He, he's uh, graduating to the sixth grade, <laughs> um, and he wants to get on a summer team. So I said, look. You are going to be, I'm 6'4", 175 pounds wet. You are going to be, you know, slim and tall. And so you're going to need to be able to dribble really well and shoot really well. If you want to be a great player with our body type, you're going to need to be a great shooter, not a good shooter, a great shooter. And you're going to have to handle the ball really, really well. So what does he do? He goes out every day and he shoots because he's putting in the work to get better. Repetition, right? Mm-hmm. The technology that's available for kids today, man, it gives me goosebumps thinking about him out in the driveway. Um, there's an app called Dribble Up. Yeah. They have it for soccer as well. It's an iPad and the ball has sensors on it and, and it's, it, 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 it's, it's an online coach wow. for getting better, better at ball handling. Hey, Dad, I'm putting in my work. I got one in today. I'm going to get a second one in tomorrow. These lessons, because they're seven-minute dribbling lessons or five-minute dribbling lessons. He wants to be better, so he's putting in the repetition. And I, for me, I wanted to be much better on screen and in front of stages, so I just worked at it. And I can't tell you that I've perfected it by any means, but I'm better today than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Leon, you're one of the people in which like, I really look up to and – really respect. And I think a lot of people would say the same thing. It's just to the point that you're so 
far along your path, so super developed. And I just wanted to know, like, what are some of the challenges that you're still dealing with yourself? Because we all know um, you're human and it's just like... Last uh, I checked. <laughs> last I checked, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, what are some things that you're still working through? So that, that's a great question. Um, no one's ever asked me that one. Um, not nor I mean, not that they should all the time, but <laughs> hey, Leon, what are you struggling with? Um, first, I'm humbled. Thank you uh, for those kind words. Um, having mentors when I grew up um, was very important, very very important to me. Um, and so, if I can pay it forward um, and be mentor and 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 be someone that people look up to, means a lot. It's full circle as I get a little emotional about that. Um, Because I think we all, family is important, but we all need mentors that are in the chosen field or in something that we feel like we need to be better at. Um, You know, my struggles, um, it it comes back to, you know, the drive of always figuring out what's next. I don't have shiny object syndrome, um, but I have so many ways that I could go. It's just figuring out the right path Mm. Um, and knowing that my path is no longer alone, right? You know, having a family, which is something I always wanted, um, you're not only making decisions for yourself, you're making decisions for your kids and your you're molding their future families. Like, I don't take that lightly. Like, that's something that I think about every day. And I'm not perfect at this by any means. But I think of just the words that I use with mm-hmm. my sons will impact their relationships with their wives um, and will impact their relationship with their kids should they choose to have them. Um, so that's my interactions with my wife. That's how I deal with them. It's how I build them up and also not be their friend, be their dad, mm. right? There's so many things like that that those are hard to navigate because I don't have a playbook for being a dad. Mm. You know, I, I didn't see a dad love a mother. I didn't see a dad love me. Um, so that is something that I'm always conscious of. And I wouldn't say struggling with, uh, but just like you, talking to guys like Micah Self, who's a CG Premier member, um, that I think is uh, a great dad. Um, I look for those type of mentors to ask questions about, hey, your son just went to play college basketball. What were you doing at 11 with him? Um, so I think the reason I say I'm, I, I, that's not a struggle necessarily, but something I'm always conscious of, is because I always seek wise counsel. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that I was so attracted to the Collective Genius when I first joined in 2015 as a member was I always felt like I had that room that I could always seek wise counsel, personal or business. Um, and it was that secret society, as you were talking about before, not three times um, the goat is the is the keyword, right? <laughs> to get in. <clears throat> and it's why I'm sitting here right now is because I, I, I felt like I could pour into people, but I, at the same time, when I'm feeling empty, I had other people to pour into me. 
Um, and I get that from the group. I will say that that is one thing that I'm working on right now is to help me continue to guide what my future looks like and and my drive. Um, I need to find my own um, mentor group that I can be a student in. Mm. Because right now I feel like I'm the teacher. Um, And maybe that would be more select. On the premier side, I'm more servant. I'm a teacher servant at select. I'm more servant uh, at the premier level. Um, but I'm always serving and I, I, I probably, if, if I struggle with anything is struggling to find my own CG mm-hmm. for me, for my own personal goals as a human being, whether that's a, a local group or a nationwide group. Mm. Um, I felt like that's a weak sauce answer because I know that I struggle with more than just, you know, my goals, um, Time is still something that I struggle with every single day. I'm cognizant of it. It's the only thing that we can't get back. We can't, you know, in your business, you can hire someone to give you back more of your own time, but you can't buy it for, you know, for, for more life, right? You, mm-hmm. you only have a finite amount of time and it's a struggle for sure is fitting everything in every conversation with every member that I want to have, every conversation with chapter two, chapter three, chapter four friends that we were talking about earlier mm. that I don't always get time for. If I beat myself up for anything, it's not um, having enough human connection on a daily basis. Mm. And that's probably uh, um, something that I know I it, I know. Mm-hmm. It is something I know I can solve, but I need to just take action. So what would that look like, taking action to have more human connections. Just like time blocking it every single day to call three people that I haven't talked to in a month mm-hmm. or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and just squeezing that time in because it will not only make an impact on my life, but I'll, I, I, I have a feeling to make an impact on their life as well. Okay. Yeah. And what type of community would you want to be a part of where you would feel like that student being poured back into? Mm-hmm. I think it's one that's, um, that has multiple verticals not just real estate investing, um, one that other entrepreneurs are a part of where, um, very similar to CG, but um, all verticals, doctors, lawyers, um, people that are trying to grow their business. Um, I, that's, you know, there's a couple groups out there that are similar to that, uh, that um, I'm looking into at, at this point. Mm-hmm. Same thing that CG does for real estate investing business. There are other groups out there that um, are open for every vertical that they're trying to accomplish the same thing. They want to grow and scale their business so they can sit in a CEO seat. Um, And I think those were, you know, I I like learning about uh, other businesses. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not going to diversify outside of real estate anytime soon. But it'd be cool to learn about things for the future that I might be interested in investing in. Yeah. It's really awesome how um, intentional you are with the words you use around your family and just how important it is to you to cultivate your sons and be a good father. I'm just curious, what are some common pitfalls that you see other people or maybe even yourself make that if you were to maybe known before or like give us advice for Mm -hmm. 
when we have kids? Um, I, I won't speak to others. What I will speak to is what I've read where um, kids struggle um, as they get older because they feel like they didn't get this or that um, from their mom and dad. Um, I think the number one word is love. Uh, how, do we, how do we give that? Um, I think it's through our, our words, our actions, and our attention. Um, I make sure that every day my boys get a hug, even if it's a little side hug because they don't want to <laughs> hug dad. Tell them I love them every single day. Um, I think those things are important. Like, you guys, I, let me ask you, do you have friends or anyone that you know that their parents never told them that they loved them? They oh, never. Oh, you're looking at it right here. It's like, <laughs> never? It, coming from like an Asian family, sure. Asian household, it's just like, that's a taboo word. It's more so, hey, have you eaten yet? And it's like, yeah. you haven't? They show Bam. love through action. Yeah. yeah. Acts of service. Yeah. Not words of affirmation. I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of you. So I, this is my, how I show you love. Yeah. yeah. I get it. I, I mean, I totally uh, understand. But, you know, when you... So my mother did the same, meaning that she told us that she loved us. Um, but, you know, she had to work so much that she couldn't be at certain things, a lot of things. Um, and so her way of showing love was I'm taking care of you by myself. And so I don't blame her for that, but we just had less of that. Um, by, by no means was I the kid that got, you know, that never heard it, but I have friends that you're like, you know, Hey man, I'm, you, dude, you're so good with your kids. I, 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 my parents never hugged me. They never told me that they loved me. Um, I think that just even, <laughs> You know, discipline is something that you have to do because we, you know, you need to set boundaries with, you know, kids as they continue to grow up so they don't, <laughs> they don't rule you. Um, <laughs> at the same time, you know, that, that love that you pour into them, man, they just, that will be something that they'll remember for the rest of their life and they will make the, this world better because they understand how to give it. Mm-hmm. You know, not just receive it. They're like, this is how you you share you share love. But I think the other piece of that is, I'm very intentional about what's important to them, and do not push in directions that mm, it's a um, square peg in a round hole. Meaning, like for instance, um, I love sports. I grew up playing basketball. I just knew I was going to the NBA until I went to one of those high school basketball showcases and there were guys six, eight and, <laughs> and 250 pounds. And I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I'm going to NBA anytime. So I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. And, um, you know, uh, so I wanted my, I wanted sons. I wanted them to play sports, but I quickly knew that that's, I wasn't going to live vicariously through them. If they loved it, they could play it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted them to play. But if they didn't, that's okay too. So my 11-year-old didn't get serious until 8 about playing sports. Right now he's playing flag football and he's playing basketball. And we're trying sports that, to find out what he loves. Basketball is his love right now, but we're trying other things. My 6-year-old has zero interest. Mm-hmm. None. 
Zero. <laughs> no interest in sports whatsoever. But he's very musically inclined. So they're going to do something because there needs to be um, discipline. And, and, and there's just sports and teams and music. It, it, it teaches you a lot of lessons. So he doesn't go to basketball practice, but he goes to music lessons, right? He's going to do something, but I'm not going to push him. Let's just do what, you, you know, let's do an activity, but find something that you're passionate about. Um, and if you're not passionate about it today, let's try and see what you are passionate about. Like last night at his brother's concert, um, the piano, he, he loves the piano. And we haven't started that process yet because um, the piano teacher is like, I need, a little, I need him to mature just a little bit more <laughs> before we get those lessons in. But um, the whole time, he just, his fingers are just going as he's hearing the piano. And it's like, I mean, he's, he's not Mozart by any means, but he's got this little, like, he's got this, he's closing his eyes and he can just feel the music. I'm like, I got I to gotta pour into that. So just recognizing those type of things and pouring into it and supporting it as much as you can. How did you, let me ask you two questions. Sure. <laughs> you guys are very, how old are you? I'm 24. 21. In your 20s, you are as good of a listener, attentive, attentive listeners um, that I've probably ever met in your 20s. Um, where does that come from? You guys are patient with listening and then you absorb it before you make a comment. Where does that come from? Well, oh, for me... I'm a 24-year-old that's married. So I've been married for like the last 10 months. It comes from my wife. <laughs> it takes a lot of patience. In I have a feeling it came before 10 months. I think. <laughs> it's a process, ever-growing process, but definitely it was accelerated through the marriage. And that's one of the things in which uh, helped me grow and elevate was through the marriage in which you have to be very patient. You have to be very accommodating. You have mm -hmm. to find compromise. You have to work through these problems together. Sure. And believe me, I understand. <laughs> definitely have struggled, had the total opposite um, approach, total opposite result. Mm -hmm. And she has encouraged me time and time again in order to continue to grow, look people more in the eye, speak more intentionally, more confidently, think twice, listen more, speak less. Those are all, have all been things in which have helped me develop my skills and listening and paying attention and making people feel really cared for because how can I serve them if I don't listen to them? Mm. Well said. How about you, Josh? So I think for me, I've, I've always just been a learner. And at one point, I wanted to be around like super high-level people. And I did that through podcasts. So that's just an hour of only listening. Mm -hmm. And then now that... I'm in the position to talk to people such as yourself. It's like, I want to do nothing but listen and just absorb everything that you've learned. Mm -hmm. And another thing, um, one of our friends that speaks really well, I was just asking him about how he keeps eye contact so well and how he has a, such a good conversation. And one of the things I struggle with here and like other conversations is silence. And he said, it's okay to just, you don't have to spew words out immediately because it feels awkward. Like take your time and listen and think about what you're going to say mm -hmm. and then, and then say it. I've seen it today. I mean, you've listened. Um, I think it's great advice for other young business people and other young people in general. 
Um, I struggle with listening with the intent to learn at times, especially in my settings of our community because I'm thinking about how I can help somebody and connect them, right? And so sometimes they don't even get it out and I'm like already connecting them and like, well, there's a second part of that, Leon. Um, you know, the, the best advice um, that was always given to me is listen with the intent to learn mm. rather than the intent to respond. Um, having 11 years um, in the corporate structure of sales and marketing, um, that was something that from day one, corporate training uh, just stuck for me. It's like, I'm, I'm, I may not be the best salesperson, but I can become a better salesperson by just listening. Because truly, if you ask the right questions, people will give you what ails them. And then you can prescribe based upon what they've given you versus what you feel like is best for them. Yeah. That's intentional listening um, and taking the time to pause. That's one that you two have mastered better than me. Um, cause we, as humans, we don't like awkward silence and some of that comes from my radio background. Silence does not work on the radio. I can promise you if there is any more, a few seconds of silence on the radio feels like minutes. Um, so especially when doing radio, I didn't have in, in soccer, I didn't have a second broadcaster. So, I would call this high, quick action inside soccer uh, matches by myself. Insane. There was no one I could pitch it to, right? So even bathroom breaks were difficult. Um, but so <laughs> I just had to speak you know, mm. the entire time. So that didn't help me with my listening, I can tell you that. Yeah. But you two, just from this conversation, that will serve you well the rest of your life. I promise you, keep doing what you're doing. Um, unfortunately, for whatever reason, you can take a speaking class, speech class. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe there's a college professor out there that tell me different, but I don't think there's an active listening class that has um, been taught at the collegiate level or the high school level. I've, there's courses that you can take on it that I've seen, but never in school listening as a form of communication. Yeah. I remember taking public speaking classes in college yes. and it was just all about communicating and really none of your classmates listened to you. It was just like, <laughs> this is, this is just your assignment. Yes. Bro. That's that'd be a great way to give back. Yeah. Um, you know, being like an adjunct high school or college professor and just teaching, get really good and, um, certified in listening and some yeah. I'm sure there's some guru out there that certified you on active listening yeah <laughs> um, that'd be a cool thing because I uh, you know um, your generation you guys get bad raps yeah. right um, because you know everybody thinks oh they're lazy they don't want to work and it's not the same and they want to do different things than no uh, you know it the more that you you know listen you know especially younger people, um, the more people will give you in regards to, oh, this person is somebody that will actually listen to me. And you know, most people like to talk a lot. <laughs> they love to talk. <laughs> they do. They, they absolutely do. I, I can tell you as somebody that um, has hired a lot of people, uh, especially in sales, everybody just entering an interview process, I was always looking for 
um, whether young or old, I was always looking for the individual that asked more questions and listened more because I always knew that person was going to outsell, outsell long-term, was going to outsell the talker. I have this one friend, his name is Perry, in which uh, he only started his startup company about three years ago, and I think it's worth between 80 and 100 million. It's oh. insane. And he has about probably 30 employees at his company. And, you know, him and I were hanging out in Maui and I'm this 24 year old and he's like 35. He got this big company. He also done a syndication. He's like very successful. And he also was a software engineer for Lyft at one point. So it's like, he has a lot of things that he's accomplished, Mm -hmm. but he still wanted to listen to me and why I had to say in my perspective as a Gen Zer, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who, uh, I spent a lot of time on social media, a lot, um, have listened to a lot of people and how they have developed on their social media journey. He just wanted to hear my feedback and he took out his phone and he went to his notes and was actively typing down the things that I was saying. And when he was doing that, I was just so humbled that somebody like him would want to listen to me. And so nowadays when I went to CJ, like literally the week after I was mid conversation with people, I was like, I don't want to be disrespectful by no means, but you're saying something really like gold, gold nuggets, like hard gold. I need to take this down. I'm going to forget it. And then I'm going to let you know how it turns out for me. Mm. Wow. I, I love it. Um, I struggle with investors. As you know, we have multiple levels of our organization. I struggle with those that say, I, I, I don't want to be in a room with a bunch of wholesalers. That's just not, you know, I'm not a wholesaler. Um, and the reason I struggle with that is because the people that have the biggest businesses in CG, they will ask me questions like, hey, Leon, how do I get in that select room? Well, why would you want to be in the select room when you're in the premier room? I can learn from anyone. And I guarantee you there's something that they're doing that I could learn from that I can implement in my business. So to hear you say that, be humbled, but also know that you can learn from someone beneath you in regards to where your business, their business is today. The best members within this community, as we always say at the beginning, is check your ego at the door. Because once you check your ego, you understand that no matter where someone is in life, there's something you can learn from them, personally, professionally, somewhere. Um, If I struggle with anything um, in regards to other human beings, um, it's people that look down upon other people. Um, Because I was always that kid that, I was the poor kid that everybody made fun of because my shoes were maybe broken, (laughs) busted. I, I, that, that is like, I've, I'm not a fighter, but that makes me want to fight when people look down on, <laughs> yeah. when people look down on other people because of material things or education, whatever. Um, because no matter what, you can always learn something from someone. So use that. There's two things right there that the two of you can, can take from this is continue to, to be great listeners because obviously, you're going to learn something when you listen, especially as attentive as the two of you are. Number two is realize that I don't care if they're 18, there's something that you can learn from, from that individual at some level. 
And I know that, uh, that it's, they're not always the easiest conversations because you may not have a lot in common, but mm. those that are the most successful in life are the ones that find commonality that ultimately lead to something better uh, for both, both parties, right? Mm. You get something from me, I give you something back. But the whole go-giver mentality is that it's not a tick for tack. It's, I'll give you four things and maybe, I don't care if it comes back around, it's great. Um, but I do think that, you know, if we go into the mindset, go in with the mindset that we can learn from anyone, um, I think this world would be a better place. But for sure, um, we'll start with each community. How about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ripple effect. That's all really amazing stuff. Um, one of the things that I learned or heard this past week was that constraint creates or encourages innovation mm -hmm. and when somebody has so much more than you like you're going to be hustling way more than they are in order to get to where they are or even catch up but the people whom are you know they check their ego at the door yeah they can definitely learn something like you said from the people whom are you know just hitting the ground themselves just in the trenches i see it um, every day um until we created select i I didn't see it as much. Um, but when we started Select, um, I had to recalibrate um, in regards to the training, the message um, after that first meeting because what we realized is, you know, we have people with six-figure and up budget, budgets for marketing every single month at the premier level. And as we started bringing in investor well when i started doing consults for select i started to realize that man this person is doing you know million dollar business 60 60 plus transactions a year but not a lot of overhead mm -hmm. you know whether it was cold calling or text messaging or driving for dollars um door knocking bandit signs um you know i was, I was wow uh, I haven't seen this type of hustle since when I joined CG in 2015 and more people were doing those type of things. But as those businesses had matured, they had more capital because their businesses had grown and they were throwing a lot of money at things. Not to say that that's bad. It's just where their businesses are and they, they you know, it's, they're still doing some of those things, but they're doing less. And so innovating with text messaging, that was not something that people did um, just four or five years ago, cold calling was something that they would do as follow-up only. Text messaging, same thing. Now it is a legit um, lead source for a lot of real estate investors across the country. Hence, again, going back to what I said earlier, is the best, the highest and best, um, highest level premier members want to be in the room with Select because they know that their teams are not doing some of those things that that the members in select are doing mm. that core foundation is built on not, i won't say hustle but built on a lower cost per acquisition because of innovation yeah so my last question is um we talked about community earlier and and how awesome the community at cg is mm -hmm. and I believe Brian said that last month was your most memberships that you've gotten. How do you, how do you guys plan on keeping the community so strong with such awesome people as you keep scaling up, bringing on new people? 
the best way that I can answer that question is self-regulation. The community will always self-regulate. If someone is not a good culture fit, we'll know. They stand out like a sore thumb. Um, thankfully, we haven't had, um, in my five years in either community, we haven't had much of that. But, you know, when you bring in together a couple hundred people, there's not everyone is going to be perfect. Not everyone is going to, to fit exactly what the community is. Um, so we're cognizant of that. And we, we, we pay attention to the right fit. And when I say fit, I mean just people that are in the community to help others scale and at the same time do the same for their business. If people come in with that, that's their fit. They're, they're a great fit. If they're not able to check their ego at the door, they're not a good fit. And in time, the community will push them out. We, very rarely do we have to make uh, an adjustment with, with a member mm-hmm. where we just don't ask them to come back or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal is to continue to vet every single applicant um, as we do currently. It's less of a knock on the door kind of thing, but you still have to go through a consult. And that process tells me a lot. If someone doesn't want to get on Zoom with me or doesn't want to do it, just wants to know the price and wants to know, you know more, send me, a, send me some information, yeah, that's, we'll pass. It's not the right fit for the group. So our goal is to always, um, and I say this from the main stage quite often, Our goal is to always make sure that every person that we bring into this group is a high caliber human being beyond just high caliber investor. And if I continue to do that, Brian continues to do that. Jesse continues to do that with elevate and select. Um, The community takes care of the rest because the foundation was built strong on our mission and go giving 13 years in this community and what I have witnessed is we've taken, uh, like the you know, when you uh, when when you I'm not a farmer. You were talking about Brian being a farmer, but, <laughs> but you know farmers take you know really good crops and they they take samples of that to plant it in another um, another field because they want that yield from that crop. They want it over here as well, and I feel like we we've, we've done that with select. Um, within a year, the community was already mature with go-givers. And now, almost three years in, 145 members roughly, um, with you know usually a couple hundred people at the meetings. Um, I've only heard a couple of instances where members said, hey, can you have a conversation with this individual? I didn't hear back. And that, that's, that's important for us. If, if someone is reaching out, and saying, hey, I, you connected me with this person, but I never heard back from them. Well, we got to have a conversation. And if that continues, got to go. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's very rare that I have to do that because the community takes care of the community. Hmm. Um, but we will do, we'll step in if we need to. Yeah. That's the best way that I can answer that. And I think another part of that is knowing what's right for the investor today. This is very important. A lot of investors want to be in the highest level room because we all do, right? We all want to be, 
you know, I don't want to be in the G League. I want to be in the NBA. But the reason that there's a G League is there's developmental time that has to happen. And if you get thrown into the NBA, you, it can be a detriment to your career because you're in the room with people that have different level businesses. And it's okay to have a level one business with a level two. But if you're a level one and you're in with a level five, it's a long gap between the two of those. And to build that bridge, it's tough. So putting people in the right room today and allowing them to develop their business so they can make that next jump is crucial in the community. Some people, I, they, oh, Leon, I don't want to go in that group. Just go. If it's not the right group for you, you tell me. But almost every person that comes to select when they wanted to be in Premier because their business wasn't quite ready and mature enough to be there, every single one of them, once they promote a couple years later, they go, you knew exactly what you were doing. You put me in the right room. We've had 10 people promote from select to Premier. Uh, and we'll have more in the future. And that ecosystem of having people in the right place at the right time and allowing them to develop while still getting this community that has grown into connection with intention, all the things that we do, we do the same thing at every level in regards to our intentionality about making sure that you get what you need. That's how the community will continue um, to, to grow, but most importantly, grow um, intelligently, grow from a standpoint of not just numbers, but the right people. So if people want to get a hold of you, talk more a little about what the CG, what is it? And then like maybe talk about a console or even get to know you, reach yeah. out to you. How could they get a hold of you? So the first thing I would say that the best way, the best way to get into Collective Genius is to know a Collective Genius member, quite frankly. Um, good people know good people. Great people know great people, right? Um, so at the premier level, I, this is a number I'm probably, I'm just throwing out there, but it's probably 75 to 90% dependent upon the quarter um, of members that come in new that are referred in. So that helps. Wow. Select, uh, the percentage is probably 60%, 50 to 60% are referred in by either a premier level member or select level member. So it's the first thing, if you know a, a, a CG member, ask them. You see somebody with that cool CG hat that you've got on there, Josh, reach out to them. We've had people that have joined that knew someone in their local market, instant messaged them via social media and said, hey, I see that you're in CG. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? That's a great way to find out is from a current member. Okay, that's number one. Number two, if you don't know a CG member and you want to learn more about it, first and foremost, I will say this. If you're not doing a minimum of 10 to 30 transactions a year or revenue equivalency, then you, you, you probably need more of a coach. You need a mentor. You need group coaching. You need a coach first if you're not doing that level. Um, you got to do a minimum of a deal a month in order to qualify for Elevate Group. And if you're not there yet, get to that level by getting a coach. Uh, we don't, we don't um, have a community for new, new investors. But there are plenty of great coaches out there. You need more hand-holding at that phase than you need a community. Elevates 10 to 30. Uh, 
select is 30 to 100 transactions and or revenue equivalency. I want to make that sure that I'm, um, I'm saying that so everyone knows. If you do, you know, 40 deals a year um, and you're grossing over a million dollars in business, you know, you may have, you know, a premier level business. That's probably a little bit short, but um, it's not just about transactions. If your net revenue and gross profits <laughs> is high, we also make exceptions for lack of transactions. Premier is 100 plus transactions of revenue equivalency, generally about a $2 million gross profit and above, a minimum usually of five years in the business that we see at the premier level. Um, there's a great website, um, learn more about CG. Um, at that website, it walks you through what this community is about. It's intentional connection, community to help you scale into the business that you want to become. Scale means something different for everyone. Um, so the reason we do the consult is to understand that. So when you come into this community, you can have the option of connecting with people that have the similar mindset as you. I don't want to do thousands of transactions a year and have 100 employees. I would love to network with people that want to do, you know, two to 10 deals a month and have a small team, be more lean. I can roll into a CEO level um, role, uh, and, but still have a lean team. So it means something different for everyone. If you're a full-time real estate investor looking to scale your business, you should check out that website. You can find me um, on that site. Um, you can also email me at leon at thecollectivegenius.com. Um, I'm on all the social, even though I don't do a lot of social. <laughs> um, Leon G. Barnes at Instagram, and I think it's just Leon Barnes on Facebook. Um, you can reach out on those. Um, and, you know, if we're the right fit, um, you know, the individuals know generally, Jesse, you can speak to this. You knew because you knew someone in the group. That's why I started there. It's a great way to understand what the group is. Those sites will give you a lot of information, but when you know someone, um, they understand what it's like to be in that room. And I can tell you all these great things. You can read all these great things about learn more about CG on those websites. But when you get in the room, you understand the difference of the community. So that's the best way uh, to find me is just uh, check out that site, fill out an application if you feel like you're ready for a community like that. And then once their application comes in, they go to the right, the right channels to either talk to me or Jesse, um, depending upon their level. Well, thanks a lot, Leon. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, getting to know more about you, your life, your experiences. And thank you so much for pouring so much wisdom into mm -hmm. us. I love it. I appreciate it. And uh, I felt like I was in therapy, quite frankly. You two are all on that side. And I'm over here and I'm pouring out. I just needed a couch. And a lot of that is a compliment to the two of you. Um, you're very calm presence. Um, you both with the eyeballs are intent on um, listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth and learning from them. Um, I... I will always give back to those that actually take the time and want to listen and learn. You know how you get some people sometimes ask you a question, you know, they don't, they don't mean it. They, they don't really, <laughs> they don't really want to hear it. You too. It's very obvious that 
you're going to be very successful in life beyond just business. So I appreciate you having me. Yeah. We're trying to be a different type of podcast, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Leon. I appreciate it. Yeah, this guys. has been Not Genius signing off. Thank you, guys. Peace. Peace.